I love imagining all of the beautiful music these wooden panels and rocks have absorbed. And now there's more. So the coffee house on Cherry Street is busy because it's Friday, morning before work, and it seems that day is when people in the neighborhood or those heading downtown set aside to treat themselves to a potent latte and a delicious homemade pastry. A young woman finds a spot and saves a seat for the person she's meeting. She waves off several people who see the empty chair because they're looking for a place to sit down. She drinks half her cup. Ten minutes pass. She double-checks her calendar. Yes, 8.30 a.m., now it's 8.40, 8.45. Maybe something awful's happened. She can't help but imagine her appointment is bleeding and dazed from a car wreck, the ambulance just arriving. She hasn't met this person, so no telling what the story is. Maybe her appointment is delayed by a traffic jam or a sick child. An unexpected death in the family? Robbery? A fire? She shakes off her worst-case scenario imagination. Maybe the car wouldn't start. She waves off more people wanting to sit down. She decides to send a text. So how to word it so it doesn't lay blame or express her rising concern and frustration? Hope you're okay. I'm at Chalks for our 8.30 meeting. Ping! She gets an immediate response. Oh no, I completely forgot. I'm two minutes away. Can you stay or do you need to reschedule? She's relieved, annoyed, and able to muster the grace to text back, Great, I can stay until 9.30. Come. I get to recall this awkward moment twice this week. I am the one who missed that appointment a few months back at the coffee house. It won't surprise some of you. <clears throat> I stood up this person I'd never met, and I was very embarrassed while she was very gracious and understanding. We rescheduled. When I look at why I might have missed the appointment, I see it's outside my morning routine. And I can think of a handful of other very reasonable reasons I missed the meeting. It had been a busy week. While I had checked my calendar the night before, by morning, it was a new day. We were to be discussing a matter that is important to me, but not critical to the normal flow of my week. I can make a million excuses my behavior, my mistake, does not reflect a self-image I nurture. I'd rather think of myself as caring and efficient and responsible. My disregard for her time wasn't willful, yet. I often have a hard time forgiving myself in situations like this. And then I get to remember this mistake of mine twice this week, when I'm on the other end of things, I'm stood up twice during the week, unexpectedly having to take on things 
I'm unprepared to do. And like my appointment waiting for me, I go through similar worried scenarios, imagining what might keep someone from showing up. And when I, get to, when I begin getting annoyed, I recall the times that I've done the exact same thing. And what happens when I remember that is my heart softens. I summon all the compassion for them that I've been granted. My mistakes, their mistakes, all our mistakes are part of our humanness. We seldom live up to our highest values. Why on earth would we expect it from others? This week, I have found myself saying to others and to myself a line from our liturgy that we use when we welcome new members during worship. There will come a time when this church disappoints you. Just as there will come a time when you disappoint the church. Admitting this human tendency to make mistakes on behalf of ourselves and our institutions, I think, is just as useful a ritual as wedding ceremonies, memorial services, and all the other sacred stuff we do in between. And this honesty is not condoning mistreating each other, but setting the groundwork for learning from and healing from mistakes. So this line has become a mantra to me in all my relationships. It works in my family. There will come a time when I disappoint Joe. He's waiting, hasn't come yet. There will come a time when I will disappoint Joe again, just as there will come a time when he disappoints me. No, come a time when I disappoint him, or Alice, or Ben, or any other members of our family. It works with my circle of friends. It works very well with strangers. There will come a time when a waiter disappoints me, just as there have been times when I disappoint him or her. It works for inanimate systems designed by fallible human beings. I'm thinking Wi-Fi, computers, cars, traffic. There will come a time when I disappoint my cell phone. Oops, dropped it. And a time when it disappoints me. Cracked screen, no signal, dead battery. The instant that line comes to my mind, anger and disappointment and confusion lessen. They don't go away, but they lessen. And I immediately place the situation in a broader, more realistic context. Life cannot go my way all the time, or even much of the time. Others will not act in ways I want or prefer, I will make mistakes. I can count on it. So some of you may be thinking, if you're generous and compassionate with yourself, you'll become a softy, an irresponsible pushover. I'm stressed out today, so to be kind to myself, I'll just watch TV and eat a quart of ice cream. This, however, is self-indulgence rather than self-compassion. 
lest you think self-compassion means letting everything in the rest of the world get away with things, I want to use the rest of our time together, making the case that while finding compassion for others can be difficult and challenging, expressing self-compassion is the most difficult of all and exactly the place where we have to begin. You know the word compassion means to suffer with another. Relationship is built right into the word because its Latin root means suffer and that prefix com means with. Compassion means a willingness to understand the pain and suffering of others to the point of suffering along with them. Out of that, you act. In one set of holiness codes in the Hebrew Bible, it commands, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Everyone knows that. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We often focus on the neighbor part, and what I want to focus on is the thyself. Begin with thyself. It assumes that you're already loving thyself. It begins with inside each person's individual experiences of life. So in the case of self-compassion, the other you're empathizing with is not another person. Instead, the other is that dramatic, in my case, overly dramatic committee of consistently chattering characters we carry in our head. We're asking ourselves to be compassionate with our interior voices whose scripts are harsh and critical. Those unhelpful tapes. Likely they're holdovers from judgmental and unskillful parents or teachers or family members, coaches from our childhood. We have to approach these critical voices as we do a stranger gently putting ourselves in their place. In compassion for another person, there's that comfortable distance. Oh, I'm so sorry that's happening for you. That has to completely drop away when it's self-compassion because it's in here. Instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing ourselves for various shortcomings or inadequacies, self-compassion means we have to be kind and understand when we confront our own personal failings. After all, who said we had to be perfect? Who said we could be perfect? Having compassion for yourself means honoring in a deep, profound way, your humanness. It demands a profound willingness to look at all our personal dark and rough spots. Compassion for ourselves requires honesty and integrity. We have to be willing to admit to the extent of our failings and own up to them. It's not easy work. It's spiritually demanding. I'm um, 
I'm grateful to Dr. Kristen Neff, who studies self-compassion. She's at the psychology department at the University of Texas in Austin. And <clears throat> ooh, I have a simple test that I forgot to copy, but I'll put out for you, that her colleagues devise for the research they do, so you can measure your own level of self-compassion. Over the years, what she's done is she's looked at how self-compassion varies with age and gender and culture. She examines how it relates to body image and eating. She studies its role in caregiving with medical professionals, clergy, social workers, and family members. She's interested in whether developing self-compassion can diminish caregiver burnout, which it does. What I like about her research is she, she finds three basic components to self-compassion. First is self-kindness. It requires we be understanding towards ourselves when we suffer or feel inadequate. Rather than ignoring our pain or self-flagellating with self-criticism. Self-compassionate people recognize being imperfect, failing, and experiencing life difficulties are inevitable. They tend to be gentle with themselves when confronted with painful experiences rather than getting angry when life falls short of their ideals. We cannot always be or get exactly what we want. When this reality is denied, when we think life should present the way we want it to, our suffering increases and takes the form of stress and frustration, self-criticism. So self-kindness is one element. A second element of self-compassion is seeing how you're a part of common humanity. When you're aggravated from not having things exactly as we want, what that does is it fosters a pervasive sense of isolation. As if I am the only person suffering or making mistakes. I'm the only one that sees how this needs to be this way. All humans suffer. All humans suffer. The very definition of being human means that one is mortal, vulnerable, and imperfect. Therefore, self-compassion involves recognizing suffering and personal inadequacy are part of our shared human experiences, something to go through that we all go through, rather than something that happens to me alone. And the third last piece of self-compassion that Dr. Neff describes is mindfulness, a non-judgmental, receptive mental state where we observe our thoughts and feelings as they arise without trying to suppress them or deny them. I'm not really this mad. With practice, we become increasingly willing to observe our negative thoughts with openness and clarity. When we relate our personal experiences to others who also have 
or who will suffer just as we are right now, we're putting our situation into that larger human eternity perspective. And mindfulness here requires that we not over-identify with our thoughts and feelings. Oh, this is the end of the world. Well, yeah, no. It's easy to get swept up by our negative reactions. So putting these three elements together, self-compassion grounds us in reality. It's not some fluffy, nice thing. It grounds us. It is more real. Our common humanity involves endless imperfections, and with self-compassion, we develop the courage to face our truest self, neither puffing up nor deflating ourselves. So self-compassion then becomes that compassion boot camp, refining our skills for understanding others and finding empathy for their equally blemished humanity. So returning to my standing up a woman at a coffee shop, to have been self-compassionate in that moment meant knowing I'm average and normal, I'm not extraordinary, I join the ranks of humanity who forgets things and misses meetings. I'm not alone. To bring mindfulness to the situation is to feel the shame, but not dwell on it. I can observe my tendency to berate myself. Mindfulness is also a helpful tool for reviewing what unhelpful habits and routines, overscheduling, doing too much, play into that. And then the next layer of work is digging beneath these behaviors to see what drives them. A hungry ego, imagining I can change the world all by myself, unwilling to say no, people-pleasing. You get the idea. Self-compassion is actually part of an endless depth of self-reflection. And it all has to be done with warm, gentle, lovingness. Harshness adds to the situation and reinforces the cruelty. So in talking about compassion and loving kindness, the Buddha taught his students to always begin with themselves. This Buddhist version of love thy neighbor as thyself begins, may I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I be well, may I be safe, may I be free from suffering. Only then can we all say, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings be happy, may all beings be well May all beings be safe, and may all beings be free from suffering. May it be so.